The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. On the show today, Jay Gruden will be a guest. Also on the show today, my guy, Eddie C. Uh, Eddie C.'s been on with us handicapping Triple Crown events the last two years. The Belmont Stakes, uh, the third leg of the Triple Crown, goes tonight. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review the podcast, especially on Apple and Spotify. It's a huge help when you do it. Two things to get to before we get to Jay Gruden. The first is that the team fined Jack Del Rio yesterday. And the team put out a statement from head coach Ron Rivera uh, to announce that $100,000 fine. The statement was long. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. Quote, this morning, meaning yesterday morning, Friday morning, I met with Coach Del Rio to express how disappointed I am in his comments on Wednesday. His comments do not reflect the organization's views and are extremely hurtful to our great community here in the DMV. As we saw last night in the hearings, what happened on the Capitol on January 6, 2021, was an act of domestic terrorism. A group of citizens attempted to overturn the results of a free and fair election, and as a result, Lives were lost and the Capitol building was damaged. Coach Del Rio did apologize for his comments on Wednesday, and he understands the distinction between the events of that dark day and peaceful protests, which are a hallmark of our democracy. He does have the right to voice his opinion as a, as, as a citizen of the United States, and it most certainly is his constitutional right to do so. However, words have consequences, and his words hurt a lot of people in our community. I want to make it clear that our organization will not tolerate any equivalency between those who demanded justice in the wake of George Floyd's murder and the actions of those on January 6 who sought to topple our government. After reflecting on the situation and circumstances, I've decided to find Coach Del Rio $100,000, which the team will donate to the United States Capitol Police Memorial Fund. I feel strongly that after our conversation this morning, he will have a greater understanding for the impact of his language and the values that our team stands for. Uh, Closed quote. That the statement from Ron Rivera yesterday uh, while simultaneously finding Jack Del Rio $100,000. So um, I uh, I have a pretty good sense. Uh, I'll call it a guess, uh, a pretty good guess on what's happened uh, in that building over the last 48 or so hours. I think they've made it very clear to Jack Del Rio that he is done discussing his political views or anything else controversial on Twitter or anywhere else publicly. You know, regardless of what you think of his political views, he hurt his employer, an employer that has been All right. This team has been and still is in a perpetual state of fending off controversy. He also, by the way, didn't help the league at all. You know, there's another rolling of eyes from the league office or there was the other day. Uh, You know, the same thing uh, being said, as it's been said over and over again. My God, can somebody stop that place from causing the rest of us in this league, you know, migraine after migraine? 
uh, as if the league doesn't have other issues as well, um, because of course it does. But Washington and Snyder uh, have become fatiguing um, and draining to the commissioner and to the rest of the league. And Del Rio became the latest in this Washington three-ring circus, and the timing of it made it worse. $100,000 uh, isn't something that I have a super strong feeling one way or the other. I know when there are fines in these situations, people like to really you know, dissect uh, whether or not this was sort of token or whether or not this was substantial. I think the statement was probably more important, but uh, and maybe the, what they discussed with Jack uh, in particular. I think he makes, by the way, I was trying to find his salary I think he makes at least a million a year. He might make two million a year. Uh, that that number isn't out there publicly. Um, so my guess is it's probably not chump change that he got fined. It's more likely than not something approximating uh, again something hefty rather than something token. Uh, but the overall takeaway is that they told him that while he has the right to express his political views, he doesn't have the right to express those views uh, if they hurt the business of the private organization that employs him. I wouldn't be surprised if there was at least a conversation, maybe not a very long one and maybe not even a serious one, but at least a mention about whether or not he should remain as the defensive coordinator. The fine and the corresponding statement was the way they decided to go. I think what was most important from their standpoint was to respond in a way that made the league, their fans, their prospective fans, their business partners, their prospective business partners, perhaps many, uh, perhaps many in the organization itself. Um, they wanted those people to feel as if they were appalled and they were taking it seriously. Now, as far as the statement goes, personally, I don't think Ron needed to be that wordy, but that's just me. Uh, but the net of it is Jack is on a short leash, I would imagine. So for those that worried that they wouldn't do anything, they did. You guys can have at it in terms of whether or not you thought the fine in the statement uh, was not enough or was too much. I think they had to respond. I think the response was a serious one. I also wonder if they'll follow through if he can't help himself and decides one late night when he's knee-deep in his phone reading tweets, uh, if he decides to jump back in uh, and weigh in on whatever the political debate of the day is. You know, will they at that point say, enough is enough. I guess stay tuned uh, on that. You know, next week is minicamp and Ron Rivera is scheduled to speak. My advice would be uh, keep it short and sweet, uh, very short and sweet on this front. Uh, Jack will not be speaking. I did find out, by the way, you know, um, that the coordinators are required to speak at least once during the offseason and Jack had not yet spoken uh, they put him out there. Again, my, my feeling hasn't changed. I would not have put him out there on Wednesday. Uh, but understanding that he has to make an appearance, um, he still would have had to have uh, been made available uh, this coming week. Uh, so perhaps he would have stepped on his you-know-what again um, in the mini, you know, after a mini-camp day. Uh, but anyway, uh, the other thing that I wanted to get to before we get to Jay Gruden was Steph Curry and his performance last night in Golden State's 107-97 win over the Celtics. Look, I'm not going to get carried away here uh, and let sort of recency bias dictate uh, how, I, um, how I describe Steph Curry's performance. Okay, Magic Johnson's Game 6 in the spectrum as a rookie with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out uh, is the greatest finals performance ever. Magic Johnson, the point guard, uh, playing center for Kareem in game six with a 3-2 uh, 
uh, series lead uh, in Philadelphia on the road, and he goes for 42 points uh, and 15 rebounds and, like, I think it was nine assists, something like that. Um, and they clinched the title that night in uh, Philadelphia. That's the greatest finals performance of all time uh, from my standpoint. Look, the Jordan flu game, uh, Tommy's been tweeting about, you know, a bunch of 1970 Knicks games. Um, But last night is on a short list of the greatest finals performances of all time. Steph Curry uh, was injured in game three. They were down two to one. There was some thought that he would be hobbled and may not even be able to play. He did play and he looked, you know, fine health wise. Uh, They were playing in just an absolute raucous uh, Boston Garden last night. That has become the best uh, home court atmosphere in the NBA. Uh, they're down 2-1 against a team that I think is better. I think I've said this, you know, I said it before the series. I think the Celtics are better. You know, I think the experience of Golden State going into the series, I thought that would play into it. But ultimately, I picked the Celtics in seven. I thought they were a better team, and I thought they were the best defensive team. And he went in there on a night when he wasn't 100%, and they had to have it. Losing that game, falling behind 3-1, was going to be pretty much series over. Uh, They had to even up that series to give themselves a chance in an even-up series with three games afterwards. And he was facing the best defensive team in the NBA. Um, He was facing uh, a road environment that is unlike any other right now in the NBA. And let's be fair here. He's got a limited supporting cast. You know, Clay Thompson hasn't been Clay Thompson, although he hit some big shots in the fourth quarter. Uh, Draymond Green has been up and down. They benched Draymond Green. He sat for a big portion of the fourth quarter. Big move by Steve Kerr. It paid off. Uh, Steph Curry's performance last night, essentially, for all intents and purposes, carrying the team on his back, not having enough support, having an entire defense geared to stopping him, saying, we don't care what everybody else gets. We're not letting you beat us because we don't think anybody else can. I mean, the doubling off the ball screens, the hedging, the forcing him out, the constant trying to get him to give up the ball. And he went for 43 points on 14 of 26 with some bombs last night defended bombs, one in particular that gave him the lead that should have been an and one on a three-point play. He was 7 of 14 from behind the arc, 8 for 9 on free throws, and oh, by the way, had 10 uh, 10 rebounds as well in the the game. 43 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. By the way, I think he would have had more assists if Golden State could have finished some of the passes that he made, but they couldn't. Uh, it was spectacular, okay? It was one of the best finals performances of all time. It wasn't the greatest. That that goes to Magic Johnson, 1980 Game 6 in Philadelphia. But given what he had, given what he was facing, given his physical condition, uh, it was unbelievable. And if they were to come back and win this series – Obviously, if he doesn't score another point and they win this series, he'd be the MVP. Of course, they can't win this series if he doesn't score another point. But my God, was it a great, great performance. It was incredible. Uh, I did not think early in that game that Golden State had a chance. Even when they were keeping it close, I thought this is going to end like Game 3 did, which is they're going to run out of gas. He's going to run out of gas. He can only do so much by himself. You know, I'm saying he was limited with support. I thought Andrew Wiggins was phenomenal last night for them. I think without him, uh, they don't win the game. Uh, he had 17 points, 16 rebounds. And Clay really did come through in a big way uh, in, the, uh, in the fourth quarter with a couple of big-time shots. And I thought that Gary Payton the second, I thought he had some big moments uh, defensively. And Jordan Poole had some big-time shots as well. But 
Um, it's a limited supporting cast, really. Uh, uh, it's it's borderline. I don't want to call it what LeBron did in taking the Warriors to six a few years back with the likes of Matthew Della Vidova and Shumpert and Mozgov, et cetera. Um, it's not that. Uh, but, you know, for all of those people that say, well, Steph Curry isn't at the level of the greatest players that have ever, that have ever played because, you know, in recent uh, comparisons, like just take LeBron as an example. I mean, Cleveland was winning 60 games a year with just LeBron. LeBron essentially carried Cleveland to the finals that one year. Uh, with you know, without uh, the the key cogs in his supporting cast, uh, Kyrie and Kevin Love. So, um, but Curry did it last night. He did it last night, uh, and he did it. You know, for a small guy to do it the way he did it makes it a little bit unique. Uh, I, you know, Tommy and I, I'm sure we'll have these conversations early next week. Because I'm sure he didn't watch it, and if he did, he probably would have said he's just shooting it. No, he was doing a lot more than just shooting it last night. Uh, He had 21 points on threes. Another 22 points came as a scorer, which I've said and debated with Tommy, he's much more than just a shooter. He is a great all-time scorer. So that series now deadlocked at two games apiece, 107-97. What a fourth quarter. What a performance by Curry. Really incredible. By the way, Jason Tatum went scoreless, I think, over the last nine or ten minutes of the game. I think he's been forcing it a lot. I think he's spectacular. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But um, it was Curry over Tatum last night. That's for sure. And Curry certainly etched his name onto the list of some uh, of the greatest finals performances in NBA history. All right, up next, Jay Gruden will join me uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we welcome onto the podcast uh, the former head coach of the Washington Redskins uh, when they were the Washington Redskins, Jay Gruden, uh, who has periodically joined us on the podcast, and it's always good to catch up with Jay, um, especially when we've got football to talk about, you know, games and stuff. We don't really have that to talk about right now, but there are some stories out there, and I actually want to get your thoughts on Washington as a team heading into 2022 and maybe, you know, as – 
kind of they compare right now in your mind to the rest of the division. But I'm curious, you know, I'm sure you have paid attention to the story this week regarding uh, Jack Del Rio being very outspoken first on Twitter and then uh, answering a question uh, during a press conference. Um, You know, politics aside, because that's not really what I've been spending a lot of time talking about as it relates to this. I'm curious if you ever had to reprimand any of your coaches. No, never had to. You know, I think uh, this Twitter thing and Instagram and all this social media is uh, quite dangerous. You know, you have to keep an eye on everybody nowadays, not just the players, but the coaches. And uh, it, it's, it's 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 a pain in the neck, quite honestly. And, and uh, unfortunately, Coach Rivera had to take steps to uh, discipline one of his coaches, but I never had to do that with one of my coaches. You know, I've players I've had to talk to, but uh, not coaches. What were some of the players? Do you have a good story of a player that you had to talk to with respect to what they said on social media or otherwise? Well, it's well documented. I had a riff with one of our players. There's, there were actually two of them that left, but uh, you know, I think the big thing is, is, is when they become that type of outspoken person on social media it's just going to become more and more the reporters are going to go out and they're going to search them out after games after tough games they're going to look for them to create more controversy and and people didn't understand that you know they just wanted more followers or they just wanted to say they're speaking their mind or what have you but it becomes a distraction it becomes a problem when they put themselves out there like that because you know like i said you know, after a tough loss or after anything happens negative, they're going to search those people out because they're going to be the ones that give the story to the media. All right, so I'm remembering. I mean, usually the the two players would jump right to my mind. DJ DJ Swearinger, that situation obviously jumps right to my mind. So that's one of the players you're referring to, right? Yeah, I mean, DJ was very outspoken. It's uh, well known, and and he was not on our team, or he was not. A fan of mine, obviously, because he has spoken out many, many times after I got released or and while I was still there. Um, you know, just one of those things that um, I did not have a great control over. I wanted to try to nip it in the bud a year and a half while before we got him, but I was not able to do that. And uh, so he was able to speak his mind and be very outspoken negatively towards our team and what we had planned. What was the incident uh, or the final nail in the coffin as it relates to Swearinger? I remember it happened late in that season. I think you guys cut him uh, on Christmas Eve uh, late that year. Uh, I think it was Tennessee. Tennessee when uh, we called man-to-man on third and five and and uh, Fabian Moreau got a holding penalty. It was a terrible call. T- Tannehill threw it over the receiver said by 20 yards, and they called defensive holding, and, and then they gave it to Derrick Henry. He ran up the middle for 40 for a touchdown. Um it was that one. He said we shouldn't have played man to man. We should have played zone, and uh, it, it just just it's ridiculous. But whatever. I mean, yeah, there's there's many of them. Who was the other player though that you were talking about? Because I honestly don't remember. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's just just it's just <laughs> I don't. Want, it doesn't matter. You know, for all the guys that I coach, I feel like I had a pretty good rapport with most of them. You know, but there's always going to be. You know, with social media, people are going to find some stuff and, and it's going to uh, be negative towards what you're trying to build as a franchise and, uh, and make you look like a minor league team when people speak out negatively towards your team. So you got to keep a close eye on social media nowadays, is my point. And, um, it's just so many avenues to uh, create controversy, um, and, and the media is going to find it, and, and you got to just be very, very careful who you, you bring in and who you sign, and, and you got to keep an eye on it. You've never been on social media, have you? I think I got a Facebook. I updated a Facebook picture the other day, which is the first time in a while. <laughs> really? <laughs> what, what, it, was a, it was a more recent picture, or did you pick an old one? I was at Sean's wedding and put a couple pictures on there of me and Whitworth and Colt McCoy, and uh, it was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, it was a great wedding, and I and, uh, was able to take a couple photos. What uh, Colt McCoy was always one of your favorites. I mean, we would talk about that all the time. W- why did you like him so much? Well, I think uh, you talk about it from a mentality standpoint. He was a tough, mentally tough kid. He, was, he worked extremely hard. Uh, he was great, a great personality, great leader. Um, and I thought he had the skill set to be a very good quarterback in the National Football. Unfortunately, he kept getting hurt. You know, he couldn't stay on the field. Um, I would love to see him 
have an opportunity to play at full strength. And I don't think I ever got that, um, except for a game and a half before he broke his leg against Philadelphia. Um, you know, but uh, I just I just like the way he played. I think the players reacted well to him. He, he worked hard. He practiced hard, um, and was a great player, great guy. You know, he had a couple of he's had a couple of really good games with the uh, with the Cardinals when when Kyler Murray's been out. I, I, I mean, when when he got those starts as a football fan, were you really interested in watching those games where he got those starts? Oh, for sure. You know, I texted him right after the first win he got. I think he was two and one as a starter and played extremely well. You know, he's a guy that's going to be prepared. He's a great guy to have on your team if he's a starter or backup. As a backup, he's an unbelievable uh, 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 guy to have because he's very supportive of the starter. He'll work extremely hard. He'll be prepared. Something happens to the starter, like with Kyler, he'll come in and, and be prepared and, and can run your team. So, um, nothing negative to say about Colt. I mean, Colt was. You want you want like hundred Colts on your team. You'd be you'd be pretty good. You know, I've probably asked you this question before, but um, I'm kind of forgetting the answer. But maybe I haven't asked you before the 2019 season. You know, when Dwayne was drafted and Case Keenum was brought in, was your preference to just go with Colt McCoy during that off season as the starter in that se- upcoming season? I would have loved to have that happen, but I was concerned about his leg. You know, he he broke his leg, and it was not on schedule. You know, I was told he'd be ready for this and be ready for this, and he never was. It didn't heal at the rate it was supposed to heal. Uh, So it took a lot longer, so I was very concerned about that. So we had to go out and get another guy. And I like Case Keenum. Case was a good pickup for us. He's a good, solid player in the league, good, solid backup-ish type. A starter could be a, you know – he can run a team a little bit, but you know, you got you got to get better um, than that. And obviously, that's why we had to draft the quarterback. Um, this time of year, OTAs and minicamp. I want to exclude minicamp from this conversation because that's uh, you know that's a mandatory participation event. But the OTAs have kind of taken on a life of their own, like everything has in the NFL. I mean, it's a full twelve month you know NFL calendar as far as the fans are concerned and teams as well. And the leagues made the most out of it. Um, what do you think about OTAs? Like, how legitimately important are they? for the, uh, the the following season and beyond? Well, I think it's important to get guys in the building and, and teach your system. It was an opportunity for us to install our offense, uh, then practice it, then give them some time off, and then come back and reinstall it again in training camp. So you could see it three times. You could install it, practice it, and then reinstall it, and then practice it again uh, in training camp. So it's important. Uh, quarterbacks, you got to have them in there. I mean, you can't just expect these young quarterbacks to come in in training camp in three weeks and then be ready to go uh, to play a regular season game. It takes time, terminology. You want them to spit out plays. You want them to know exactly what's going on, what to expect. Um, you got to get them in shape. I mean, I, I know guys have their own trainers at home and, and they're supposed to do their work, but you want them in the building with your strength coach, with your trainers, getting themselves in shape. For me, the most important thing in the offseason was conditioning and making sure they were working on their bodies and then we could talk to them about football, our terminology, what we want them to do, what we expected of them, and then get themselves get themselves ready for training camp. I was having a conversation um, on my radio show the other day with Logan Paulson about in OTAs with young players that you know you you don't know anything about, but you drafted or you brought in as undrafted free agents about whether or not you can actually learn anything about them because what you get Jay from a fan perspective or, or in even a media perspective you just get a lot of like when they're open to media you get a lot of people tweeting oh my god Carson Wentz is dropping dimes into Jahan Dotson's hands and uh, Jahan Dotson has become uncoverable uh, Logan Paulson actually said and and one of the reasons I had him on the show he said Jahan Dotson their wide receiver uh, you know first round pick out of Penn State um, has been uncoverable in OTAs, and I said, "What does that mean?" Like, I mean, he had, they're, you're not, they're not playing against anybody. Aren't you? you're really not going to know until the season started. And he said, "No, with some position players, like wide receivers, you can tell." Is that true? Oh yeah, for sure. You, you can learn a lot about guys. The good thing about OTAs too is, is you can learn a lot about guys what they need to work on, and also you can, you know, make some moves. Some guys aren't ready for the NFL and you can get rid of them and, and add to your roster spots with different, 
guys, you know, before the season starts. That's kind of important, too. You can get rid of some guys, you know. Um, so it's very important. But skilled guys, you can see the skill level. You can see the speed. You can see the burst. You can see the hands. You can see the separation they get. Uh, defensive backs, you can see their footwork, their transition in and out of breaks. Uh, it's very important to see that. You know, the offensive linemen, the physicality, you may not be able to see, obviously, because you're not hitting. But definitely the skilled guys, the quarterbacks, the receivers, the tight ends, uh, you'll, you can learn a lot in OTAs. When did you know that you had more than just a really good special teams player, but you had a really good wide receiver in Terry McLaurin? Oh, my goodness. It was early. Um, I think uh, probably about this time. You know, once you get them out on the field and you're doing routes, it starts with routes versus there. You know, you just see his burst and his acceleration uh, and his hands, and then you get in – uh, some team drills. You see him going against defenses and his knowledge of the game, his ability to line up and run the routes to the right depth, his detail, his attention to detail is phenomenal. You know what I mean? If some guys are short out of their breaks, they're, 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 you know, they stumble. You know, this guy was smooth out of his breaks, his transition. He ran every route uh, very similar. Everything looked the same, whether it was an out route, a big route, whatever it was. was. He'd come off the ball. Uh, he'd snatch the ball in traffic. Um, yeah, so it was, it was about this time of year. Is there a player that stands out that this time of year you brought him in and you had no idea what you had and you and the other coaches were, were like, wow, this guy's going to be a player? Um, probably, you know, when I first got the job here, um, I wasn't sure about Jordan Reed. I wasn't a big fan of Jordan Reed uh, in college at Florida. I thought he was soft. I didn't think uh, he was that good. Blasey Blasey was in the draft with Tyler Eifert and Kelsey and Ertz, and I had him down the list as far as tight ends are concerned. Um, and obviously he played pretty well with the Shanahan before I got here. But once I saw him in person, he was the most impressive guy I saw in this type of setting. Routes versus there, um, shorts, whatever it was. He was unbelievable as far as his ability to get in and out of breaks, and snatching the ball in traffic, and, and uh, just a natural athlete. Jordan was a quarterback, I think, when he first got to Florida. Logan Thomas, who they have uh, as their tight end here now, he's coming off a, a serious uh, late-season injury, was a quarterback at Virginia Tech. Um, how much of an advantage is it? You were a quarterback. How much of an advantage is it um, for players who are playing other non-quarterback positions to have been a quarterback? Yeah, I think when you play quarterback, obviously you're in charge of the offense and you have to know what everybody's doing, so it's it helps you in the big picture. You know, a lot of guys get tunnel vision. I, this is what I do. This is the only thing I need to learn. But when you know what's going on around you, what everybody else is, the concept of the play, it's important. And it gives you great advantage uh, when you can see the field like that, when you know exactly uh, what everybody else is doing. It's like a concert. You know, everybody has an instrument, and, and you're just part of the, the choir. And Jordan understood the big picture of each concept so we could line them up in different spots. And he knew that it was easy for him to learn the play because he could see the big picture. It's really kind of a shame, isn't it, that he had all the concussions and couldn't stay healthy? You know, I, we, we've done these what-if segments before on radio, like um, the, the, the greatest what-ifs in franchise history. Sean Taylor is clearly, you know, number one. Um, you know, what would Sean have become? And everybody believes that Sean would have become, you know, one of the all-time greats uh, at safety. Um, for me, you know, Jordan Reed is often the one that I come up with next. What if he had stayed healthy? What if he hadn't been, you know, out and, and missed so many games and had a shortened career? What kind of player do you think he would have become? A superstar, without a doubt. He'd, he'd be talked about with Travis Kelsey and uh, the best tight ends in the league, for sure. You know, this guy changed the game for me as a play caller. Uh, third down and two to five, we were dang near unstoppable when Jordan Reed was healthy. Um, his ability to um, create mismatches when he lined them out, up outside, when he's inside in the slot working against a nickel or a linebacker or a safety, he was, he was unguardable, you know, so... Um, my last year, um, he got the concussion week three against the Falcons in the preseason game. I'll never forget it. I said, we're playing two series, and that's it. We went three and out on the second series, and he dropped the ball. And Case said, I want one more series. And Jordan goes, hey, can I get one more series? I said, fine, one more series, and that's it. And that's when he got the concussion and uh, put him out for the year. 
but his concussion was odd because we had three weeks before our first game and our trainers kept telling me he'll be good. He should be good. And so we're game planning for him to be in the game for four straight weeks. But on Thursday or Friday, he would have concussion like symptoms. He'd be out. So our game plan would change from having Jordan Reed to not having Jordan Reed was a drastic change. And it was uh, quite different without him. It was much more difficult to get those third and two to fives without him than it would be with him. Right. I mean, I, I'm just thinking about some of the games he had. Uh, that that Saturday night game, you know, the night after Christmas when you guys had to beat Philadelphia on the road, uh, unstoppable. The Tampa game, you know, the code red game, as you called it, uh, which we've referred to many times against Tampa. I mean, there were just games in which he was the, the he was clearly the best player on the field, and as you said, uncoverable. And at the same time, you also had two wide receivers on the field, and sometimes Chris Thompson out of the backfield. I mean, you had some weapons there for a few years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we were really good, and uh, you know, when you lose those type of guys, people don't understand. Obviously. You're replacing Jordan Reed. No, no offense to Jeremy Sprinkle or the guys we replace them with, but they're not Jordan Reed. And then you lose your quarterback, Alex Smith, and uh, it's just it's hard. You know, you take away Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. I don't think the Packers are who they are. You take away Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. I don't think the Rams win the Super Bowl. You know, <laughs> so uh, your big, the most important thing in pro football is your stars have to be stars. They have to play like stars, and they have to stay on the field. And unfortunately for me and, and, and my tenure, I never got to play with all my stars. Trent Williams didn't play, obviously. He's a star. Jordan Reed hardly ever played. The quarterbacks got hurt. Um, so it becomes very difficult. As a- uh, back to Terry McLaurin for a second before the 2019 season. And you knew you had something in him, right? You knew that this guy was going to be a really good receiver for you. We we didn't know that because you barely played him really in the preseason. He did, or he certainly wasn't very productive in the preseason. And then you kind of unleashed him on everybody in the opener at Philadelphia. Do you remember? Was that part of the plan? Because not many people were thinking that Terry McLaurin was going to be the number one wide receiver that year before the season started. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, there was no reason in the preseason to to strike him up and, and show what he could do. You know, we had to kind of keep him under wraps and we wanted to keep him healthy, you know. Uh, so, you know, there's different theories of the preseason. Some teams want their guys to play. Some teams like the Rams, uh, they don't even play their guys in the preseason. Um, they want them on week one. They know their stars are going to be stars and they keep them healthy. And that was kind of our approach to Terry and some of the, uh, the, the better players on our team. We've had so much bad luck uh, with injuries that, I was uh, taking that approach where, hey, you know, we'll, we'll practice them and get them mentally ready to go. But as far as preseason games are concerned, uh, let's let's not show our hand too much. Let's uh, get them ready for week one. All right. Um, one more about Terry McLaurin and Carson Wentz in particular. You know, he is not uh, at the uh, OTAs. He's he's in a contract negotiation. We think it's a negotiation, ongoing negotiation for. Uh, a, p- a potential big contract extension. I think everybody that roots for the team wants Terry McLaurin to be signed to a long-term extension. Um, but you talked about the importance of this time of year, especially you know with quarterbacks and everybody getting on the same page. What do you think the absolute drop-dead deadline for Terry McLaurin being together with Carson Wentz to get the appropriate amount of work is before the regular season begins? I think training camp would be fine, really. I think uh, Terry's a different type of guy. The one thing about Terry is he's going to be prepared. Um, he's going to be physically fit. He's uh, a great person. Uh, he's going to work his tail off. And I think as long as they get together in training camp, I think him and Carson will, or, will get together and have plenty of time to get ready uh, if, if he reports to training camp. All right, let's talk about the upcoming season as it relates to this team. And you did tell me before – uh, we started to record this interview that this was the first year in forever in your professional life, really, that you did not immerse yourself uh, into the NFL draft. But uh, taking what Washington has right now on paper, what kind of season do you think they're going to have in 2022? Well, I think that uh, they have the skill to compete for the division title. That's the first thing they have to do is worry about their division. Uh, can they compete with the Cowboys? Cowboys are loaded, obviously. They have not made that 
step that uh, everybody expects the Cowboys to make. I think the Eagles are getting better. And obviously the Giants, um, they've got some pieces now that uh, they should be much improved. But I, I think when you compare them to the rest of the division, they should definitely be in contention to win the division. Uh, they should be. I mean, Coach Rivera has been there now. He's been able to build his team the way he wants to build it. Del Rio has been there. The defense, uh, you know, I feel like we left them in a pretty good place with the defensive line and uh, some skill on defense. And obviously uh, they should be ready to fire on all cylinders. I mean, this is time. It's time for them to do that. You know, the excuses are over. Uh, they can say the culture was bad, that I left it, whatever they want to say, but they've had plenty of time to put their stamp on this franchise and, and build it the way they want it. And, uh, the time is now for them. Um, what do you make of Philadelphia and everything they've done, adding A.J. Brown um, to their offense, uh, adding James Bradbury to their defense along with, you know, they drafted one of the more gifted uh, defensive linemen and one of the linebackers out of Georgia that they, you know, was uh, projected at one point, you know, mid to late first round pick. They got him in the third round. Um, but what do you make of the Eagles led by Jalen Hurts and a bunch of playmakers on offense? Well, you said it right there. It's all about Jalen, really. Uh, you know, I think surrounding them with, with A.J. Brown is obviously going to help. Uh, they got a very good tight end. Um, they, their running game should be good. Their offensive line has always been pretty solid. Uh, their defense is going to be better. Um, uh, so I think that uh, if Jalen can figure it out, um, then they have a chance. But, I, you know, I think when it's he's a young player still, he's still developing, he's got this great – ability to create plays on his own um, but from a you know if they get behind can he bring him back with the passing game I do not know that yet about Jalen Hurts I think I still think that there's some issues there with his throwing um, but um, they have added some pieces around him um, if they can stay close where he can hand the ball off and do some zone reads and, and beat some teams with his legs and they have a chance but if they get down and he has to become one-dimensional I think they'll have problems. Uh, I think the last time I had you on, we talked about Carson Wentz, but um, just net it out. Do you think Washington got it right with Carson Wentz? I think that uh, Carson, uh, when he was young and he was a rookie, I think he had the um, ability to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league, really, the skill to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league. He was big. He was strong. He could create with his legs. He uh, was accurate. And then he hurt his back or whatever he hurt, and he was different. He, he changed. So if he can uh, become healthy again, he can gain his confidence back again, he does have the skill set to be a very, very good quarterback. But that has not happened since his injury. So um, I think the time will tell with him. I think he's got a one-year deal here. Um, he's got a great opportunity. He's got a good sporting cast. Uh, so the time is now, and there will be a lot to be said about Carson when the season is over. So um, hopefully he makes that step and and, and uh, does what I think he can do from a skill standpoint. But you know, when you have a major injury like he had, your mechanics change a little bit. Um, but from a mental standpoint, I think he should be very comfortable um, in this offense and, and should do some good things. Uh, where are you on Dak Prescott? Do you think he is a legitimate upper tier um, QB in this league or not? I do. I, I really do. And I know that uh, you know some big games they have failed miserably. But I think from uh, the ability for him to drop back and rip it, I think he's a very good quarterback. He's strong. He's physical. And again, the injury um, had a little bit of an effect on him, I think. But I think Dak is, is one of the top-tier quarterbacks in the league for sure. Uh, but you like Washington. It, you, you're certainly expecting at this point, year three, um, with uh, the Rivera regime, you expect them to contend for the division. They better, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean they better. Uh, I, I, I would think so, yeah. I mean, they added a quarterback that they wanted. Uh, they got a heck of a running game. Um, they've Added some defensive pieces. Um, so, yes, they better compete for the division. Well, them, they better versus what you think in terms of will they are two different things. You know, I, 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 I know everybody can hear what you're saying there, but do you think they're, they're good enough to win the division this year? Yeah, I do. I think personnel-wise they, they are. You know, if Carson uh, shows that he is the guy – 
that he was drafted in the top two picks. You know, this guy has a great skill set. He really does. And if he can um, continue to develop and be that guy, then yes. You know, obviously if Carson struggles, then they'll struggle. Right. But uh, it all goes through the quarterback. I mean, we know this. I mean, it, it, there's no secret. The best teams in the league are who? The Tampa Bay Bucks with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay, Matthew Stafford at the Rams. Uh, these guys, you know, the development of uh, these quarterbacks in Buffalo and, and, the, and the Chargers, um, the top-tier quarterbacks make top-tier teams. There's no secret. So if Carson Wentz can become uh, in that conversation, then yes, the Washington Commandos will compete. If not, then they won't. <laughs> yeah, the, com- the Commandos. <laughs> you don't love the name either, do you? No, I hate it. No. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Uh, you mentioned about Rodgers uh, without Adams. Um, do you think Green Bay takes a step back without Adams there? No, 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 because uh, this, this quarterback is special. I mean, he's, he's a one-of-a-kind type quarterback, once-in-a-hundred-years type talent. Um, he's a special guy. He'll make people around him great. That's a good thing about that's, that's the best thing about quarterbacks. They make people around you better. Uh, Tom Brady won Super Bowls with different supporting casts year in and year out. Aaron Rodgers is going to become – he's always going to be one of the top-notch quarterbacks year in and year out because he is a special player. He's going to make people around him good, great. Um, you gave us your thoughts on the NFC East. Uh, give me a team in the NFC that people aren't thinking about, you know, because obviously it's the Rams and it's the Bucks and the Packers – uh, give me a team in the NFC that you think has a chance to have a surprise season that maybe people aren't thinking about. Um, I think the Vikings have a chance to be really good. Um, I think Kevin O'Connell is going to get there and, and, and do some very special things with those guys. And I, you know, I, I love Kirk and uh, with Cook is healthy and and obviously Justin Jefferson and Billion, uh, they they have a chance to be really really good. I think if they get their defensive pieces healthy. Um, they, they have a chance to compete for that division and, and go pretty far. All right. Um, a couple of, of, of more, and then I'll let you run, because I'm sure you've got a tee time uh, at some point today. Uh, how's your game, by the way? You playing a lot? I, I play a lot, but it doesn't change. I, I, I'm the same. I stink. <laughs> no, you don't. If you can't putt today, you can't putt tomorrow, and I can't putt. Well, have you gotten a lesson? Have you gotten a putting lesson? You can improve your putting. TikTok, you know, I, I get a lot of lessons on TikTok, so yeah. <laughs> yeah you do. Yeah, those are the ones that usually yeah. really help out. Um, so Aaron Donald earlier this week, Jay, signed the biggest deal, non-quarterback deal in the history of the game. You got to coach against him, but you've been a fan forever of the game as well, and it kind of sparked the conversation about Aaron Donald and where he fits in among the greatest defensive players of all time. What do you think? I think uh, when you talk about defensive players, you talk about changing the game. And uh, I was fortunate enough to coach against some pretty good players and, and watch some pretty good players growing up, obviously. And, and, he, and you talk about guys that dominate the line of scrimmage, and that's why Aaron Donald's getting paid, because he changes the game, blocking schemes, everything. Um, Lawrence Taylor, to me, was... Uh, the most fun guy ever to watch on tape uh, and to watch as a kid growing up. Lawrence Taylor, I think, was the most dominant defensive player ever. Yeah, I do too. We we were having this debate the other day. To me, LT's number one. I think he's the greatest football player, overall football player uh, of my of my lifetime. And you and I are basically the same age. Um, uh, several rankings have Reggie White ahead of LT. That, that's a, that's a that's a debate for sure. But to me, LT. Nobody changed the game like LT did. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, you know the other guy that people probably don't talk about, Dwight Freeney, was pretty darn good too. He was he was a freak. You know, <laughs> he was he was tough. Uh, guys that I coached against, you know, I think uh, which people probably don't talk about. Ed Reed to me was probably uh, the most dominant safety, other than Sean Taylor, um, um, his short-lived career, obviously. But Ed Reed was was, was phenomenal. He he. he he was a guy that you always had to watch, and uh, uh, he he was he was awesome back there. He controlled the defense, one of the best defenses of all time. Uh, he was the catalyst back there. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. Um, all right, uh, thanks for doing this. I'm not going to keep you any any longer. I always appreciate it. 
Um, hopefully uh, things are well for you, and, and we'll, maybe we can talk you know, once the season starts. Anytime. I'm free. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Appreciate it. All right, man. All right, one more segment on the show today. Our guy Eddie C. is going to jump on and handicap the Belmont Stakes. That's next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Belmont Stakes later on this afternoon, early evening uh, in New York. Third leg of the Triple Crown. Our guy Eddie C. is back to handicap the race. It's me, Eddie C., on Twitter. Eddie's a local guy, a uh, big-time handicapper, and a, uh, a guy with major D.C. Uh, connections. Um, and he's joining us right now. Thanks, as always. Obviously, before we get to your picks in the Belmont, you know, you always look for what what's the storyline. Well, the storyline here is that Rich Strike, the 80 to 1, you know, all-time long shot that won the Derby and skipped the Preakness is back uh in a Triple Crown race uh running uh, tonight. Tell us about the storyline of Rich Strike and the return um after uh winning the Derby, you know, over a month ago. Well, I mean, you know, the big story about Rich Strike, and once again, thanks for having me on, Kevin. Always a pleasure talking with you and being back in the DMV with my peeps. But, um, you know, uh, you know, the story about Rich Strike is here's a horse that the Friday before the Kentucky Derby wasn't even known to be in the race, and all of a sudden he gets in because of a last-minute scratch of another horse. And he goes off at 80-1 to 1 and shocks the world and comes gets a the most perfect ride I think I've ever seen in horse racing from uh, from uh, the jockey Leon and wins the Derby at 80 to one. And then they make the decision, the owners uh, and the trainers make the decision to not run in the Preakness, which is incredibly rare. And I would love to think that they did it for the betterment of the horse, thinking that, Hey, this race took a lot out of him. Let's rest him up and run him into Belmont and give him five more weeks to rest up now that all being said looking at the race a couple of weeks ago when i started handicapping it i would have told you that yeah i'm not using him i'm throwing him out i don't think he's got a chance but in the last couple of weeks talking with the people that are watching him every morning watching him work out the clockers some of the other handicappers that are out there they say that he looks fantastic that his He's full of himself. He's his skin is shining. He's eating all his feed. He's he he's doing everything right. So a lot of people are giving him a chance. So uh, I mean, are you surprised at that? Are you surprised that a lot of people are giving him a chance? As a, I would have told you ten days ago. Yeah, I would have been surprised. But after talking to all these people and watching his workouts and, and seeing videos of him, no, he looks fantastic. He really does. And it, it's, I'm a very visual person. I mean, it's one of the things that, especially when I'm up at, at Saratoga, I go into the paddock and part of my handicapping is looking at the horses close up and how they're, how they're looking prior to a race. And visually, Rich Strike looks like one of those horses that, wow, it's a wow-looking horse right now. Why didn't people notice that before the Derby? I think part of it was because uh, prior to the Derby, he'd only won one race, and it was his 
uh, a maiden race, which is meaning that it's, you know, you have to run in a maiden race basically to, to, to get your first victory. And he'd never really shown much prior to that, except he's regally bred. He's a well-bred horse, and he was also not in the derby field. He was what's called an also-eligible. So he wasn't eligible to get in unless a couple of other horses backed out, scratched out of the race, and that's exactly what happened. And, you know, when you and I spoke before the derby, we didn't know that he was in the race. And, you know, I'm not going to go back and tell you that story that I told you before the Preakness, but, you know, nobody really, he was totally overlooked because he was a last-minute entry. Early voting won the Preakness. Uh, Rich Strike wasn't in the Preakness. Early voting was the winner at the Preakness, and early voting is not running in the Belmont. Why not? Yeah, I think uh, the reason being for that is that the uh, the connections of the horses, meaning the owners and the trainers, they're pointing them towards Saratoga. They, they would love to win uh, the Traverse Stakes, which is – Arguably, the the it's not a triple crown race, but it's it's really close to being that big of a race for three year old horses, and they're from New York and they really want to win that race. So uh, my thinking is is that and and I don't know this. This is just my summation of talking to some people, but I I, I haven't gotten this factually from anybody. But my thinking is they want to rest them up race one race prior to going up to Saratoga and then try to win the Travers with this horse. All right. I think there are eight horses in, uh, in the Belmont, uh, tonight, uh, go ahead, handicap it. Tell us who you like and, and what people should be thinking about. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, the six horse Mo Donegal is probably going to be the favorite, uh, and probably, and deservedly so he's a good horse, but I think the horse is more of a plotter. I think he's going to, I think he's going to run a good race. He had a little bit of trouble in the Derby. A lot of people liked him going into the Derby. He, uh, you know, he got into some traffic trouble at the very beginning, and then he came on at the very end uh, a little bit and finished fifth, was closing. Um, but I'm going to try to beat him just because I think the distance is going to be a difficulty for him. You know, they're, they're running a mile and a half. Right. After this race, none of these horses will ever run a mile and a half again. More than, I mean, 99% sure they're not going to ever do that. So um, I'm going to take uh, as my top pick the one horse, We the People. This horse is, I believe, is going to. The only negative to this horse is that he's breaking from post position one, which sometimes for a young horse can be a scary thing because the rail is right there and. There's a lot of people, and this horse actually back in the Arkansas Derby uh, did get a little spooked out by a huge crowd. I don't think that's going to happen this time, and he's also the main speed of the race. So I think he breaks well. He breaks on top, goes to a lead. He doesn't get pressed too much by anybody, and it's going to be a catch-me-if-you-can type of race. He's bred to get the distance. Um He's 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 got uh, arguably the best jockey in in the United States on him, Flavian Pratt. So I I give him a huge shot. Uh, he was the morning line favorite at two to one when they put the odds out, but I, from all the early money that happened yesterday, he's actually drifted up to eight to one. Wow! I expect him to probably yeah. I mean it's it's a huge all the early money went on Mo Donegal and Rich Strike got hit hard too. But I believe we the people can end up going off at probably maybe four to one, three to one at the at the lowest, four to one at the highest. But uh, that's who I like. And you know, I, as we just spoke about, I wasn't going to use Rich Strike, but now I have to. So I'm actually going to take a big chance today. I'm not going to use Modonagal at all. I'm going to use uh, we the people on top. And then uh, I'm going to do a trifecta. I'm not going to do it exactly today. I'm going to do trifecta. And I'm going to use Rich Strike, uh, the eight-horse Barber Road, because the eight-horse has a big jockey change. Uh, Joel Rosario, who's the other top jockey, in my opinion, uh, riding. So he jumped on this horse. 
And Barbarode is usually a closer, but I think he's going to be closer to the to the lead. And then I'm going to use, once again, we talked about this for the Preakness, there is a filly in this race, and uh, it's the three-horse Nest. And she is the best-bred horse for the distance. Now, her figures, her speed figures and past performances may not match up quite as highly as some of these other colts that she's running against, but, you know, she's run six races. She's won four times, one second and one third. So for me, I think, I don't think she's going to win, but she also gets that same five pound weight allowance. So having five pounds less than any other horse means something. So I think she, she's got a great chance to come second or third. So to summarize, I like we, the people, the one horse, and I'm going to key him on top in the trifecta over the three, the Philly Nest, the four, Rich Strike, and the eight horse, Barber Road. All right, so we, the people, is the pick, and you think we, the people, will go off at around four to one um, after you know opening as the opening line favorite. It's somewhere around two to one, drop to eight, but you think it'll go off at about four to one. It's not a bad payoff uh, for the winner of the race. Um, thank you for doing this as always. Uh, it's me, Eddie C on Twitter. If you're big into horses, um, follow Eddie on Twitter. Uh, Eddie's also uh, a former golf pro uh, as well. He's had quite the eclectic sports life. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I will talk to you soon. Uh, thanks for doing this well, as listen, always. We, we... No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. We got to get you up to Saratoga this summer. I know. Well, well, I, I, I've got that on the list of, of things to do. That would be a lot of fun. Thanks, Eddie. All right. Thank you, Kevin. All right. That is it for the show today. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. I'll be back on Monday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.